The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. What's the buzz today? Well, I have an interesting line from Joe Hill, the author of NOS 4A2. That must mean something to somebody. Here's the line. I think cell phones were invented by the devil. Ooh, we said it. So what's going on here? Listen, you know what's going on. As you and I and everyone we know carries more mobile devices with more sensors everywhere we go, we are generating a flood, a sea of data that has staggering implications. You might not think about it that way, but now we want you to think about it. According to futurist Yuval Noah Harari, with enough data and enough computing power, Computer systems will understand humans, that's you and me and everybody we know, better than we know ourselves. That's And here's a quote from him from the Financial Times this year, August 26, 2016. We are already becoming tiny chips inside a giant system that nobody really understands. What is going on? Well, I have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this out. And our topic today is, does the Internet of Things know us better than we know ourselves? Well, we're going to find out. In a moment, I will be speaking with John Akred, A-K-R-E-D, the founder and CTO of Silicon Valley Data Science. And we'll also be joined by a regular here on many of our Game Changer series, Gray Scott, futurist. I call him futurist in residence and the founder and CEO of SeriousWonder.com. And rounding out the panel is somebody who was on a recent show with us as well, Doug Freud, AVP of Data Science and Strategy at SAP. So John has sent me a quote from somebody named Monica Rogati, R-O-G-A-T-I. She's a senior data scientist at LinkedIn. She has created or spearheaded key products, including the original talent match system that matches jobs to candidates. She developed the first machine learning model for people you may know and created and implemented the first version of groups you may like. She certainly is a smart lady. She's a crowdsourcing specialist and evangelist for LinkedIn's data-driven products and all kinds of things. PhD in computer science from Carnegie Mellon. So here's the quote John has selected from Monica Rogatti. Quote, today we are witnessing a new revolution, this time of data natives who expect their world to be smart and seamlessly adapt to them and their tastes and habits. While digital natives were most concerned with what they can do with technology, data natives are more concerned about what that technology can do for them. John Akrid, how are you? I'm great. Great to be with you. I am so glad you're here. Monica Rigetti, opened my eyes to her. I didn't know about her. Are you a big follower or fan, or you just came across the quote? 
Uh, no, I am a, a big fan of Monica. She's been leading some of the best data science teams in Silicon Valley for a while now. Uh, so, so absolutely a fan and uh, a follower. So tell me about the quote. Sure. So, you know, I think what Monica's getting at is, is an observation that, um, you know, the, the increasing capabilities of machine learning and things like that uh, have brought products to bear in the market that are changing the expectations of consumers. And, and um, you know, given, given the topic du jour of, of the Internet th- of Things and how well it knows us, I think those expectations are, are a good uh, sign of how far that has come. And, and so the dichotomy she's setting up is really, on the one hand, you have the, the so-called digital natives of, of, of the last wave of technology. You know, we program our thermostats or our DVR um, and, and uh, tell, tell these technologies what we wanted to do for us, where um, the, the, the so-called data natives are, a, you know, it's a different uh, expectation of technology. We expect technology to learn about us over time and to give us better and better advice. So, you know, on the one hand, you have uh, things like <clears throat> thermostats that learn when we're in the house and begin to optimize their behavior based on passive observation of what we do as opposed to our active telling that technology what to do. Um, you know, and that really is, is pervading the economy and all kinds of goods and services everywhere from, the, you know, Google actually starting to figure out where I live. I tell it on a regular basis. It's starting to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so at the end of the day, it says, hey, you're probably going home and here's, here's your expectations for traffic, whereas I used to have to put that in the navigation system every mm-hmm. time I left to tell it where I was going. So it's a shift that reflects what we're uh, seeing in, in technology uh, manifesting consumer expectations about what what the Internet of Things can do for them. Thank you very much, Don. Very interesting. Uh, going back, uh, before I, I go to, to uh, Gray Scott, going back to my opening, we're generating a flood of data with staggering implications. Are these data natives, are they understanding that they are generating data, data that is out there about them? Does this bother them or concern them? You know, it's it's a great question, and I think um, more and more so people are aware of it. However, it it does seem uh, that that the the new generation, the millennials, are a lot more willing to share uh, their own data for for these kinds of benefit than those uh, from I'm waving my hand as, as as a member of an older generation. We won't mm-hmm. specify which. Uh, you know, <laughs> where where we maybe have more concerns about our our data and what happens with it. So you know, I think part of that switch which is, is a generational shift and, and the younger generation changing the overall society's expectations about, about sharing data and what you can expect in return. So they do seem more, more comfortable, if not from a, necessarily a point of knowledge of just what kind of trail they're creating for uh, that companies may be able to take advantage of. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you, John. We'll be hearing a lot more from you. And now let me welcome our, our resident. Gray, do you really want to be my resident futurist? Is that okay with you? <laughs> sure, absolutely, Bonnie. <laughs> I think you've already been on over, oh, more than well over a half a dozen shows this year. We're delighted to have you. Gray sent me a quote from Carl G. Young. Anybody who, I don't know if they're living under a rock, but may not be thinking about uh, the inception of psychology and psychiatry. Young is Carl 
Gustav Jung. He lived from 1875 to 1961. I wasn't even aware that he lived. Great. To me, that's recent times, 1961. I'm sorry. I was a young teenager then. He was a Swiss psychiatrist and psychotherapist who founded analytical psychology. His work has been influential in psychiatry, philosophy, anthropology, archaeology, literature, and religious studies. He was also a prolific writer, but interesting, most of his work wasn't published till after his death. Uh, there were Jungian archetypes. There's the collective unconscious, the psychological complex, and the extroversion and introversion were some of his concepts. Here's the quote Gray has selected from Carl Jung. Your visions will become clear only when you can look into your own heart. Who looks outside? Dreams. Who looks inside? Awakes. That's so poetic, Gray. I love the quote. Welcome oh, thanks, back. How are you? <laughs> Terrific. Talk to me. What does this mean to us? We're talking about the IoT. We're talking about sensors and knowing as we talk with John, they know when he's coming home from work and what route to tell him before he even says anything. What's going on? Well, in a lot of ways, the, the Internet of Things acts as a mirror, and it, it is causing us to look inward into ourselves and our behaviors. And a lot of these behaviors are unconscious behaviors. Um, you know, these are patterns in, in the kinds of choices that we make, whether that's shopping choices, whether the, the, the kind of choices we make uh, with people we surround ourselves with. Any of these patterns that may be unconscious, that is what's being mirrored with the IoT. Um, and I'll give you a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, a great example of how uh, the digital natives that we were talking about, they... They view the digital world as a second skin, uh, and that's that's odd for those of us like myself who grew up, you know, half of my life without the internet, and this portion of my life with the internet. Mm-hmm. To us, it is odd, but to them, it's ubiquitous. It is everywhere. You know, they they carry their phones in their pockets at all times. Mm-hmm. Every meal they have, every adventure they have gets digitized. And mm-hmm. so to me, that is a digital skin. And they are so used to having that membrane on them at all times that it's just common. It's, it's, it's a natural thing. But what's happening is that they're learning about themselves in ways that our generation really didn't. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I have to say guilty is charged, Gray. I was having dinner at P.F. Chang's on, uh, when was it, Saturday night at the bar, and I photographed, I didn't put it on Facebook, but I photographed every dish because everything looked so beautiful, even the beer in the tall glass with the bubbles. I've never seen so many bubbles in a beer, and it was a bottle of beer, and it was in a very tall, ice-cold glass, and I was fascinated. I, my companion said to me, really, can you put the damn phone away? I said, no, it's all so pretty anyway interestingly didn't quite make it onto uh, Facebook but yeah th- there is that temptation um, what about that that feeling of are we sharing too much gray do you think there's a real danger there in terms well, of giving away that data I don't think that it's we're sharing too much I mean it all of this has to do with how you view it because that's how you build it and that's how you mm-hmm. use it that's the sort of paradigm that I'm uh, the way that I'm thinking about it. So, for example, what you just described is very interesting to me. So that moment of seeing the beer or seeing the food, that turned you into uh, an observer of your experience. And we know that the millennial age is all about experience. And mm-hmm. so if, you have, if, if the IoT can develop a deeper uh, experience 
uh, with people and, and their surroundings, I mean, that is really turning us into the deepest of species. I mean, it's making us view the world in ways that we maybe wouldn't have, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's, it's all about how you, you frame uh, this digital skin that we're talking about. I like that. Thank you very much. I feel younger already, Greg. <laughs> I just had a birthday Friday, so I appreciate it. We're going to roll it back about 10, 15, maybe 30 years. It's cool. Doug Freud, welcome back. You were on me a couple of weeks ago, and thank you for bringing John into the show today. Doug sent me a quote from David L. Rose. David is still alive and well, born in 1967. He's a young one, American business executive and scientist and lecturer at the MIT Media Lab. His research focuses on computer human interfaces, which we're talking about. He has invented, wow, he has invented and patented online photo sharing and designed a number of wireless products, including the Ambient Orb and the Glow Cap. Uh, interestingly enough, and this is, I believe, where the quote came from, I'm going to read, in July 2014, just two years ago, David L. Rose published a book about the Internet Things called Enchanted Objects, Design, Human Desire, and the Internet of Things. He argues that the cell phone monopolizes attention and there is an opportunity to unglue society from these screens by spreading apps into everyday objects like our clothing, our jewelry, and our rooms. So here's the quote from David L. Rose. We interact with screens 90% of our waking hours. The result is a colder more isolated, less humane world. Perhaps it is more efficient, but we are less happy. Ooh, Doug Freud, welcome back. How are you? I'm really good, really good. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Talk to me about that quote. Yeah, so uh, the rest of the quote, uh, by the way, is um, he then goes on to talk about Mark Andreessen, who is the inventor of of the Netscape browser, and he said that, you know, Mark Andreessen said, you know, Software is eating the world, uh, and he goes on to say, smartphones are the pixelated plate uh, where software dines. So it, 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 it's funny as, as you know, as we're talking about millennials and experiences, and uh, it, you know, millennials, even though they have this digital skin uh, and they, they like experiences, when when you go out, you, a lot of times you'll you'll be uh, you'll be at dinner and you'll see everybody looking at their cell phone, mm-hmm. <laughs> not not mm-hmm. interacting. And what I kind of what what struck me uh, and Rose's brilliant book is is he's right is that you know there's going to be all sorts of new innovation or uh, powered by Internet of Things where we'll, we'll be able to interact in much more natural uh, uh, social ways instead of just staring at the rectangles. So whether it's uh, whether it's the uh, the umbrella which glows when it's likely to, to rain or it's the pillbox which vibrates when it's time to take your medicine, there'll be all sorts of other uh, experiences which will just become natural uh, and much much more social uh, as the Internet of Things kind of powers up. Interesting. Talking about uh, going out and seeing everybody with their cell phones. I had a family dinner. My family live in very far away, actually, but my son came up with his wife and my two grandchildren. And we took my mom, who is almost 100 now. We, we went out to dinner at a big restaurant, seafood restaurant on Long Island. And the table next to us was extremely loud. Turned out the owner had invited her best friends. And these people didn't know the meaning of keep your voice down in public. So it, we couldn't even think. So all of us picked up our cell phones, Doug, and we were texting each other saying, <laughs> damn, the, I, I kid you not, damn there, lad. And we were texting each other across the table because we 
couldn't hear each other in person. And I will, and my mother kept saying, what are you doing? I said, Ma, look at my phone. We're texting. I'm texting Teresa. She's texting Megan. He's texting. And it was very funny. But we, the only way we could communicate was digitally while we were sitting face to face at the table. It was quite an interesting dinner. Thank you, Doug. Pleasure to have you back. Let's turn back around the table to John Acred. John, where are you calling from today? We'd love to know a little bit about you. What are you drinking? What powers you at Silicon Valley Data Science? Powers you or calms you down? What's your favorite drink? Ah, uh, great question. So I am, you're talking to me from Mountain View, California today, mm-hmm. where uh, I regularly procure some very good coffee from a joint called Red Rock Cafe uh, that serves up four barrel, a delightful um, <clears throat> Uh, the roaster in the San Francisco area. Um, so I, I spent the early years of my career working in a coffee shop and developed a hearty appreciation, some call addiction, I call enthusiasm uh, for cof- for the coffee arts. Uh, although I am looking wistfully at a shelf full of uh, bourbon and, and rye whiskey and, and, and thinking about this afternoon. Do you have a favorite bourbon you'd like to share a label with us? Oh, I do have a, I have a. Well, I have a favorite rye. I will share because it's uh, it's 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 a little unusual, but it's called Koval. It's uh, made in Chicago, my uh, hometown, uh, and it's a fantastic rye whiskey. Super, super smooth. If anybody likes that kind of thing, can you spell the name for me? Sure, K O V A L. Koval. Okay, I'll probably look it up. I'm not a rye drinker, but I'm always curious. Thank you very much, John, and welcome to Game Changers. Pleasure to have you on. And now let's turn to Gray Scott. Gray, I can't keep track of how many drinks you've been forced to share with us over the years, <laughs> but what are you drinking today? Just let's pretend it's your first time. Gray Scott, it's so nice to meet you. And what are you, what's in your cup today that powers you as a futurist, Gray? Well, Bonnie, I... I had been drinking uh, coffee with almond milk for for quite a while. And, uh, for the last week, I've been drinking green tea, and today is my first day back on uh, the coffee bandwagon. So I'm back on the coffee. And what kind of coffee? Come on, you know I want more information. <laughs> it's a dark roast uh, with some almond milk uh, with no sugar. Sounds very good, and I have a little story to tell you about Young in a second, but I want to make sure we get Doug Freud's drink in here. Doug, what are you? Are you in New York, or where are you today, Doug? Oh, today I'm 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 actually talking to you from uh, Clark University's GIS lab, where uh, my daughter uh, goes to school, and uh, uh, looking out to a, a very old quad out the window uh, at Worcester in, in at Clark University in Worcester, and mm-hmm. uh, for a drink, uh, of course, coffee and. Is that to have more or to get up after you have it? <laughs> oh, well, my. Have more. oh, my goodness. Good to know. Uh, I have a little side note here for Gray about Carl Young. I didn't want to interrupt the flow earlier, but I don't know if you know when he was 12 years old. Do you know the story, Gray? What happened to him when he was 12? Uh-uh. 
He was pushed to the ground by another boy and lost consciousness. He later admitted that it was probably his own fault involuntarily. or Yeah, involuntarily, directly. A thought came to him. Wow, if I can faint, I don't have to go to school anymore. So Carl Jung, whenever he started to walk to school or started doing his homework, he fainted. And they let him stay home for six months until one day he overheard his father talking to a visitor and saying... We think this boy has epilepsy and we're concerned he will never be able to support himself. The family is in poverty now. Well, Carl Jung realized he needed to strive for academic excellence. He was a smart boy. So he started going into his father's study and reading Latin grammar on his own. He managed to get just three more fainting spells out of his system. And then he said, listen to this, that was when I learned what a neurosis is. Is that a great story, Greg? Wow. Is that wow. something? Yeah, that's a wow. I, I came across it in Wikipedia. You know, I love to do lookups. So anyway, no neurotics on this call today, just good coffee drinkers. I am drinking a Cool Clear, <laughs> present company excluded. I'm drinking a Cool Clear cup of water and a cool mug, and I have an orange straw because it's a beautiful, crisp, kind of cold fall day here on Long Island in New York. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. We're speaking with John Acred at SVDS. That is Silicon Valley Data Science. Gray Scott, Futurist and SeriousWonder.com, and Doug Freud at SAP. We have a lot more to talk about. The question of the day, does the Internet of Things know us better than we know ourselves? And I will add parenthetically, and is it our fault? Okay, we'll, we'll get back to that in a moment. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back, I promise. Aaron, out. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Welcome back. This is the Internet of Things with Game Changers, a very important topic. Does the IoT Internet of Things know us better than we know ourselves? And if it does, how did it get so smart? Maybe we did it to ourselves. Speaking today with John Acred at Silicon Valley Data Science, Gray Scott, our futurist in residence officially now, because I say so, at SeriousWonder.com and Doug Freud at SAP. We're going to start the roundtable, and I'm looking at notes from John. 
and let's see where we're going to start this. John says, any good conversation starts with the discussion of legal. So here's what he proposes. There are legal and policy limits to how well our computers will know us. And he adds, sometimes it seems like legal departments are wholly unaware of what's technically possible when they're negotiating data sharing and usage agreements. Sounds like a very pithy conversation. John, why don't you start it for us, please? Sure. So, you know, I mean, one of the interesting things uh, about the Internet of Things is that I, I think that, that many of the challenges that we face in terms of realizing the potential benefits of, of this connected world um, are, le- are, are, are legal and policy challenges that we're only just beginning to grapple with. And so, um, you know, as somebody who has a company that implements uh, IoT capabilities for folks, we, we often get involved in conversations with legal departments uh, at enterprises trying to, to navigate, you know, on the one hand, the agreements they have with their users, whether it's their, their iPhone app or what have you, uh, and, and partners. And, and what's interesting is, um, and sort of the sarcastic setup is that that on the one hand you have you're having these legal conversations. Um, legal teams are trying to uh, create a, a safe environment uh, where companies can do beneficial things for the users while respecting user privacy and things like that. Mm-hmm. And largely, these conversations are going on apart from the technology and what it's actually capable of. Uh, and so, one of the areas that that we're spending a lot of time and focus as we think about how to unlock the value of the Internet of Things is, you know, how do we navigate a world where somebody may have the right to uh, access some some data uh, if they are currently in Germany, but if you take the same person in the same organization and you move them to a different country, they no longer have the right uh, to access and look at that data. You know, and these are these are concepts that that are not built into the kinds of um, technologies we work with to implement these capabilities. You know, so one of the the, the most interesting things I've seen is the the advent of legal groups who are starting to take a proactive uh, and positive view of, hey, we want to uh, actually provide some valuable things back to our users, and we want to do so in a way that respects their preferences and privacy. And a lot of the negotiations and legal agreements that we all click through when we bring an app, you know, to the earlier question about are we really aware of what we're sharing and how it can be put to use, um, you know, there, the, 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 the sin is only evident after the fact, so to speak, when, mm-hmm. when an organization oversteps their bounds. So getting some clarity on, on what a good relationship with your customers is to bring them these services and what that means in a legal and a technical sense is really a big challenge for folks these days. Thank you very much. I was thinking while you were speaking, John, you said sometimes you have access to certain information if you're in one country or another. And I think we've all seen enough spy movies and enough um, police and, and investigatory dramas on TV to know about spoofing and uh, phony IP addresses and that's probably not very far beyond possibility that somebody could pretend to be in a certain country to access based on, on the, the data trail they're leaving. Am I right on that, John? Oh, absolutely. I mean, sometimes we do it intentionally through something called the corporate VPN that we're all sort of used to mm-hmm. using to, to remote in. And, and then once you're uh, in via a VPN, it can appear to, to the rest of the world as if you were sitting in that location and not the, occasion, not the actual location you're in. 
so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's these and other technical challenges that that um, that make this hard. You know, if you're if if you're a you know a lot of the a lot of the actual interesting uses of the Internet of Things are are actually around industry industry and, and optimizing uh, things like things like heavy equipment in the field, and, and that's where this really gets interesting because if you manufacture some piece of heavy equipment and you want to sell uh, condition monitoring, you know, you want to watch the data coming off that thing on behalf of your customers and let them know when there's something wrong with it. You want to see all the devices in the field with, without respect to which customer that is. But, you know, one of your customers may get really upset if another of your customers is able to reverse engineer uh, somebody else's mm. maintenance strategy doing mm. that. And so suddenly, you know, we have this, these, these environments where, you know, it really gets subtle and complex in terms of who you are, where you are, what role you're playing, uh, and, and do you have access. Thank you very much. Gray Scott, talk to me. What do you think? Well, it is interesting, the the idea that we have access to uh, this deep level of, of data. But we've talked about this before, Bonnie, that uh, privacy in general, uh, a lot of times we think of privacy when it, when it affects us. We want our privacy, but we don't necessarily concern ourselves with other people's privacy. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. the, the, the real issue when we talk about privacy and data usage and data collection, we're getting into a range, and, and I'll give you a quick, a quick example of uh, an emerging mm-hmm. technology. So right now you can buy, there are several different companies that, that you can buy add-ons to your computer that track your eyes and you can control your computer with eye tracking. And wow. that means you can open up programs, you can browse the internet, all with just looking at the screen because it's tracking where your eyes are going, giving commands. Imagine if you were uh, an artist or if you were uh, someone who uh, built something in the visual world and you wanted to collect data on where are people's eyes looking. Or if you're just an employer and you want to see where your employees' eyes are going over the data. That in itself, what privacy implications do we have on our actual human behavior? And, and going back to our original thought on this, a lot of this behavior is unconscious, right? I mean, do we really think about where our eyes are going when we're, when we're viewing a screen every day? Uh, so these are the kinds of things that, uh, going back to the original thought, it's the unconscious that is becoming conscious, and the IoT is that mirror and we're going to have to deal with that. Companies have to deal with it. Individuals have to deal with that. And really the question is, is there a barrier? Can we hold a barrier between our privacy and our customers? Good good point all. Thank you. And that goes back to my opening statement about staggering implications in the flood of data we're generating. Thank you, Gray. Doug Freud, know you want to join us. Talk to us. Yeah, so... Uh, Really interesting topic. Uh, I was uh, talking to uh, my brother-in-law, uh, who's also a technologist, and uh, about this. And, and his comment to me this morning was, "What if your computer, uh, <coughs> your computer, uh, got hacked into and spoke and ordered something via Alexa? Alexa, order me ten thousand rolls of toilet paper." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, boom, you know, you're, you've got a Prime account. Uh, you've bought something that, you know, you had no intention of buying. So, yeah, so the, the, the privacy concerns and the security concerns and the orchestration is all stuff that, is, you know, is, is, as John mentioned, is just uncharted territory. So, uh, and, and as we, 
and is the Internet of Things enables things with video is, is there, there's now absolutely programs that can look at kind of facial the facial features and understand emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the potential for um, uh, uh, what I'll call a digital kerfuffle is is huge, and and it's stuff that I you know not only have legal departments not really thought through or, or, or probably way behind what the technology can do, but just uh, the companies themselves, I think, have not thought through a, a lot of these issues and how it can affect their relationships with their customers. Potential for a digital kerfuffle. I have to run that by the other panelists. <laughs> I like that. I like that, Doug. John, any thoughts about a digital kerfuffle while we're talking legal kerfuffles? Ah, uh, yes. I mean, you know, the, the there's some... There's some famous examples, and I, you know, I did the, the the Doug's point on uh, Alexa does not yet inhabit my kitchen. Um, you know, the notion that we're all list, willing to let Amazon sit there and listen to us all day long, uh, and everything we say is is quite interesting, um, and and it comes with a lot of value. The, there's the famous um, or infamous. A case of of uh, Target, where you know they were able to infer from certain patterns of buying behavior. Basically, mm-hmm. they they could detect when someone became pregnant. Famously, yes. they a, a, a promotion to the home of someone, and and that was a single father and a teenage daughter, and you can imagine the the kerfuffle uh, <laughs> that ensued. Um, you know, mm. and there are other. Um, you know, there's there's other versions of this um, as well. Even everywhere from sim- simple calendar sharing settings and things like that. Um, you know, where you may or may not realize that that you're making your schedule available to employees. Let alone, um, you know, then you add Siri to the mix, trying to optimize things, and suddenly um, you're you know you're you're getting suggestions for other people's meetings and wondering why. So you know, there's a lot of of um, <clears throat> different different ways that that these kind of prescriptive and recommending capabilities go bad. Uh, I'm I'm wondering how long it will take for there to be a website dedicated to them, but to pick the most recent example, uh, you know, Microsoft famously trained a bot to interact with people on Twitter uh, and and learn from the interactions and, and begin to customize their behavior, and, and sadly the bot turned into a racist profanity spewing oh. um, uh, worse than worse than a sailor, right? And so, you know, we on the one hand, there are there are algorithmic trading platforms that have been going uh, without human intervention for years, and on the other, we have these learning capabilities that that um, that go awry, and it's very hard to know um, what 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 you know what is going to be vulnerable to a com- uh, a kerfuffle uh, before before you put something out into the wild. So, I think one of the important things about these kinds of capabilities. The folks really need to monitor them well and make sure they're doing what what you think they're doing. Otherwise, you can get into some uh, serious reputational trouble uh, in in terms of of what, when you you know you're trying to do something good for your customers, and in the end, uh, it's <laughs> it's not perceived as much. Yep, <laughs> I can think of some real life examples. Yes, we won't go there. Uh, I'm ready to turn around to uh, Gray Scott. I'm looking at your notes here. And 
Let's talk about pattern recognition. That seems to be dominating your nose to me. You say pattern recognition in the hands of an advanced AI will look like magic to the ordinary human. We'll feel like these machines and the IoT Internet of Things can predict our desires and behaviors because they will. Are we in danger, Gray? Is this something we really want? I don't necessarily think uh, we should think of it as, as something that's dangerous. Um, uh, you know, it, it also has to do with how we code these machines as well. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, the code, no one sets out to, in a, in a company, no one sets out to code a machine to, to harm us. Uh, but the idea that these advanced AI could see patterns that we can't recognize. I mean, there are patterns in our behavior, there are patterns in nature and, and in our environment all the time that we miss just because the human brain isn't evolved enough to see those patterns yet. That is that is this sort of miraculous layer that, that AI and the IoT is bringing forward. And that's why I kept saying earlier that this is a mirror for us. It is mirroring what's already there, right? We A lot of human behavior is limited just literally out of the evolutionary process. We're only at a certain stage, but AI has sort of leaped over us, and it will leap even further. And so when that happens, when you have a machine that can look out into the world and automatically pick up these super, super complex patterns and bring those back in, whether that's in in the, uh, you know, biohacking uh, arena, whether that's in, in business, whether, what, whatever uh, factor that it's in, that it's looking at, all of those complex patterns can seem like magic, right? I mean, we're, we're in a, a state of sort of magic already. I mean, when you think mm-hmm. about all of the cures that, we, that we're coming up with, and a lot of this has to do with machines finding patterns that we've never seen before. They're there, but the, the machines have pulled those out. Now, to take it even further into the predictive, this is where it really gets miraculous. When you get into a state where a machine can look at your behavior down into the unconscious level and start predicting what it is that you desire, not just mm-hmm. based on your, your drives, but based on things that your body might need. Now, this is a perfect example. Let's say your, uh, your, your toilet is a part of the IoT and it's monitoring your urine that um, imagine the information that's inside of that, that it could mm. tell your refrigerator, okay, he's had enough eggs this week, or he's had enough salt this week, or you've had enough coffee this week. It could predict whether you're about to have a heart attack. I mean, these are the kinds mm-hmm. of things that we're going to start seeing, and that's going to feel like some sort of magical thing to us. It will. It's scary and exciting at the same time, Gray, that that Mm -hmm. devices could be predicting maybe not what we consciously desire, but what we need to know. That's a need to know, right? You are about to have Mm -hmm. a catastrophic health crisis, and I'm going to tell you about it now. A little more important than if your refrigerator orders your almond milk for your coffee (laughs) and it (laughs) arrives by drone the next day, and Gray opens the door to his apartment and says, hello, drone. I was just about on my last drop of almond milk, and the drone says, yes, sir. We knew that. Here is your five gallons of almond milk. And you say, what? Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting conversation. That's fascinating, Gray. Doug Freud, join us. What do you think about this predictive ability through the IoT of things we need to know? Let's stay on that topic. Yeah, I I think, you know, whether it's scary or not, I I think a lot of these things are just going to be inevitable. And the question is when. 
and mm-hmm. uh, and and as as we talked last time, you know, I'll, I'll, this, the, there will be a, a huge period of, of, of adjustment. But the the when these things talk to each other, it, 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 you know, let's imagine the the uh, the 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 fire uh, the fire alarm being connected to the door. I mean, that boy, we want that to happen, right? Unless mm-hmm. unless the uh, <laughs> unless the machine overlords decide to lock you in when there's a fire. But yeah, yeah, and it, no, the the uh, the ability to kind of for these things to uh, to help us is is, is going to change. Change life as we know it. I mean, I remember the day when uh, you need to know how to get somewhere, and you had to plan, and you had to figure out the most efficient way before you went out and drove there. And now we just—it's just oh, I just—I'll I'll let the GPS figure it out. Uh, it, it can do a much better job than we could ever do it, ever ever do. So, the predicting what we need to know is is certainly you know going to happen, and it, well. It, that, that orchestration process will be challenging and difficult, uh, and I'm not saying it's happening overnight, but I think that predicting what we need to know is going to become a really important uh, part of how we evolve, and there will be a period of time then when we can't, when we'll look back at this period of time and, boy, I can't even remember how we, how we, why we lived that way. <laughs> there will be, uh, you know, we, we need to, we used to need to know where we were going and how to get there, and, you know, in the, in the, and this will free us up to think about and solve much more uh, different and hopefully better kinds of problems. Thank you, Doug. I'm going to turn to John Aker, and then I have a question for the whole panel on this topic. John, what's your thought? You know, the the um, it there's all these these great. I, I agree with Doug that it, it you know we're. We're constrained. There's, there's all sorts of rules, rules of thumbs around things like we can keep seven things in our head at a time, and things like these. And all, you know, com- the the ability of computers, whether it's it's sort of the kind of pattern obser- observability or 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 rich features that that we've been talking about, um, are really sort of net new capabilities, right? So, um, on the one hand. We're all, you know, fairly aware of our heart rates. Certainly, we're aware when it stops beating. Um, but, but a simple, a, a simple device that monitors our heart rate over time can provide us really important feedback of things like an impending cardiac event, right? And that's sort of the, the spirit of, of, you know, noticing small patterns that have huge uh, predictive uh, power, and, and there's a real uh, action that can be taken that can provide impact somebody's life, right? So we'll wonder, you know, why, what did people do in an age when their watch didn't tell them they, they, should, um, they should seek medical attention immediately because they're showing signs of an impending cardiac event, for instance. And I think, you know, these are the kinds of capabilities. It's interesting. I, you know, I kicked this off with privacy concerns, but there's also, you know, an inverse argument, which, which I think is interesting, which is, you know, if, if by sharing our own data uh, with 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 the uh, you know in in the healthcare sense can help us cure cancer and do things like that. What what right do we have to keep it private if if we can do such fantastic things for humanity? And obviously we need to do so carefully. But I think it's the promise of these capabilities uh, that really have people excited when they look at the Internet of Things and think about the the possible future. 
Thank you. I have a question for, I'm going to start with you, Gray, because this is a pattern recognition is what you brought up and the need, to, what we need to know that we might even know, not know we need to know yet. Question is, will we go into a society in the near future of, I'll call it haves and have nots, where people who are perhaps visionary, leading edge, like the three of you panelists, will say, yeah, I want that smart toilet. I want that smart refrigerator. I want to have things ordered for me. And other people will say, nah, too futuristic, too much privacy invasion. Don't give it to me. And the people who will get those diagnostics, Gray, from the the the, the analytics on on whatever comes out of their body into that toilet, trying to be very polite here, um, they will have the advantage of better healthcare because they're getting those digitized diagnostics, and other people won't. So will we become segmented into the the agree and the not agree, the haves and the have-nots, the forward-looking versus the laggards? Any any thoughts on the societal impact of what that'll do, Gray? Yeah, I, I've written about this before, about how we've had uh, splits uh, in in species in our species before, mm-hmm. and we've seen the result. Um, we are going to see a time in the very near future. I mean, we're already sorting, sorting ourselves into the digital uh, groups uh, and the non-digital groups now where people are sort of falling away. I don't want to, you know, Luddite is sort of a harsh word to use, but it is, it's moving in that direction. But the, the split is starting to occur where people are starting to embrace, uh, you know, cutting-edge technologies, and they won't be afraid to, you know, have a 3D printed heart uh, put into their mm. body, right? Yep. But for people who are really afraid of these technologies, you are going to see in the near future an existence on this planet where we have different types of humans, which, which sounds outrageous, and I've called them the pure bios and the bio-digital or the bio-digitized humans. Uh, you know, you could use the word cyborg, but that's a little scary. I'm talking about people who embrace the digitization that we're going through. That is going to separate uh, us into a different type of species. I mean, if if Elon Musk is right when he talks about having a neural lace uh, implanted into your brain that that allows mm-hmm. you to compete with an AI, that right. is a different species versus a natural pure bio human. So, absolutely, this is going to happen. I mean, you know, we see on the planet all the time now. Uh, resource divisions. So absolutely, the digital divisions are going to happen. Thank you very much. Doug, briefly, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, I, I totally agree uh, uh, with Gray here. and I, I think it is inevitable that that as humans we become part of the Internet of Things and that, you know, it'll it'll start with the with sensors and, you know, there'll be whole new, there already are whole new business models where people give things away in exchange for the data and it's it's the data that's going to be monetized, and, and so and is you know imagine if you can't afford a cell phone, but you take the cell phone and and you get ads with it. You know it's it's inevitable that this is what will happen, and people you know there certainly will be people who the the digital luddite who will who will reject this and and never agree to it, but you know those people will eventually uh, self-select out, uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. we will eventually just have uh, this this class of people who just will share their data and as, as we evolve, uh, as, and I think it's just inevitable. I see those benefits. Thank you. John Akrid, what do you think about this? 
You know, I, I had this vivid image as Doug was talking um, about the uh, the evolution of the modern highway, and and right now we have express lanes. Um, this, you know, if you're in a, a modern congested city with terrible traffic, which seems to be more and more of them, um, and and you get to use the express lanes if you have a carpool, if you have more than more people in your car, uh, and I can see a world not too far away where. Um, you know, some of this is doing things better, right? Like self-driving cars are actually better at driving cars than humans. Uh, Google rehearses and, and tests their cars all over Mountain View, and I'm regularly trying to get run over to uh, get to get some early retirement uh, legal <laughs> no, out of them. No, you're not. <laughs> uh, I, I do actually, and, and it's very good at not running running me over. Or at least I tempt fate on a regular basis. And and you can see a world where, you know, it's not going to be the fast lane. It's going to be the, okay, if you insist on driving the car yourself, you're going in the slow lane because the rest of, not, rest of us, you know, by sharing data and proximity and things like that, can move faster as a hive with self-driving cars than we could driving our own cars. And, and you'll see this very visual representation of the opt-outers uh, because suddenly mm-hmm. they'll be constrained to a single slow lane while the rest of us are kicking back enjoying some uh, YouTube and, and flying through the, the thinking about what life was like back when they're used to be traffic. There you go. And they're still there. They're already there in the non-easy pass lane at the Throgsnick Bridge and the Whitestone. <laughs> and the problem is that there are so many of them who refuse that little chip thing on the windshield for easy pass that they jam up sometimes five-lane highways here in New York. And you can't get to the easy pass lane because there are so many of them realizing they can't use it. They have to eventually get over to the three cash lanes on the right side. So, damn. Anyway, I have one more topic quickly. we got five minutes till the end. I just want to hit this one very quickly with Doug Freud. Doug, you say, as the IoT world starts to unfold, we really need entirely new paradigms of how we analyze and manage data. The estimate is that 90% of IoT data already goes unanalyzed and that the current rate of change, this may go higher before it goes lower. Any uh, any quick thoughts on this, Doug, before we go quickly into predictions? Yeah, the, yeah, I was just at uh, the Chief Analytics Officers uh, Conference in New York, and and. The, as we as we talked to people whose focus was just analytics, it, it struck me about how many of them just thought about analytics in terms of humans, and uh, and and I, I looked around and and I said to them, you know, there's going to be all these different entities as we enter this you know Internet of Things world. There's going to be the mobile device. There's going to be the car. There's there's going to be all these different connected devices. Each one of them will need its own entity. And yeah, while humans still remain the most important ones, at least for now, uh, all these other things will will need to be they'll need to be people who specialize and understand in in, in these various different entities. And it, it, and of course, we need you know we need to think about how we analyze data very differently in this in this world. You know, my a long long time ago, my brother-in-law told me wireless is not a fad. I'm here to tell you, uh, real time is not a fad. And as we, as we kind of, hmm. I would describe analytics in, the, uh, in this Internet of Things world is we used to we used to think of it as, tell me, you know, in this parking garage, how many Fords are there? And we'd we'd write a SQL statement and you know do a count. Mm-hmm. And now now analytics is going to change into how many Fords are driving down the hi- all highways right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's going to be a very different type of problem and requiring very different kind of technology that we will need to be able to solve. 
Thank you, Doug. And in terms of a new technology, Gray, just a side note for you. I looked up, uh, there's a $30 gadget that lets you control your computer with your eyes. It used to be $8,000. Now it's mm-hmm. 30 bucks. It's a pair of really strange-looking glasses. Uh, a mm-hmm. researcher in London created this device. Yes, yes, yes. Everybody go look it up if you want. It's on CNN 2012. Oh, this is old news. Shame on me. Let's circle quickly back to John Acred. John, I can give you a little less than a minute for predictions. Let's fast forward maybe 2020 or something time after that when you think a lot of things will change about the IoT knowing us better than we know ourselves. What do you predict? I'll give you 60 seconds on the dot. John Acred, go. All right. Well, I will pick up on Doug's point, um, which is to say that that I think uh, my prediction will be that the earliest very high value wins of the Internet of Things will be relatively um, invisible to consumers. And what I mean by that is they will they will be more about the back-end systems, optimization of things like supply chains and manufacturing networks and the like, which will bring capabilities to users. But, but part of the reason for that prediction is that when companies, uh, it's easier for companies to agree to share data than it is for individuals uh, because they're much more familiar with the details and they have much more uh, stark commercial uh, motivators to do so. Uh, so I think what you're going to see is is that as we digitize the the, the industrial world, um, the, there will be some profound value realized. There will be planes that don't crash. There will be trains that don't crash. Uh, and, and there will be uh, things that continue to work in power plants that don't have issues and, and the like uh, long before the killer consumer apps of the Internet of Things. Uh, that, that, that are also coming. I like the trains and planes that won't crash, especially in recent days. I'm in New York, so thinking about the crash in New Jersey. By the way, the woman who was killed on the platform at New Jersey Transit was a former SAP employee. I don't know if you heard the news. Grace Scott, talk to us. 60 seconds. Predict for me, please. I think we're going to see a future where we are biodigitized uh, as a species. And what I mean by that is that everything is quantified, uh, not just our bodies, but our minds, our world, everything is quantified. So um, we're, we will know what we desire before we even have the desire. There'll be some sort of predictive ability there uh, for the machines uh, to quantify what we need and desire, and those things will appear before we even know it. Uh, as miraculous as that sounds, it's already starting to happen. You're, you're already starting to see, uh, if you take a picture on Instagram, something pops up on your Facebook page to suggest a similar mm-hmm. product. These are, these are similar type scenarios, except it's going to be even more advanced. It's going to have uh, health implications. It's going to have social implications. And the paradigm has already begun to shift. Thank you, Gray. Doug Freud. I give you just barely 60 seconds. Go fast. Right. The, uh, so I, I think the real, uh, I agree with John in, in that I think initially we'll see kind of uh, the back end uh, uh, for IoT systems. And it's going to be, across, interestingly, I think for a lot of these things to make sense, they're going to have to be across verticals. So things like uh, uh, healthcare, the, the manufacturers of devices, the pharmas, the providers and the insurance agencies, all, all three of those will need to kind of coordinate to get real IoT innovation. Uh, and there's going to be other verticals, like you know, in, in cities, the same thing. Uh, is we'll have to see kind of an aggregation across a vertical 
uh, to get in, in, incredible value in, in optimization. And I think that'll happen in, in the next next five years. Thank you very much. And, Doug, I have to say thank you to you for pulling together this wonderful panel and for helping Ira Burke, who normally puts together the panels for this series, Internet of Things with Game Changers. Doug, you're a real champ, and we appreciate your support. And, John Aikrid, pleasure to meet you. And, Doug Gray, come back anytime. I know you will. <laughs> I, I, we don't have that many shows left for the rest of the year, but I'll try to, at least on the year-end special. You'll be there on one of the shows. Uh, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I want to thank everybody. Great topic. Does the Internet of Things know us better than we know ourselves? I think the answer coming soon is yep we'll leave it at that thank you to Aaron our engineer at World Talk Radio the business channel and I want to give you my shout out and I, I think we need to have a an IOT seatbelt soon I'm not sure if anybody's invented that fasten your seatbelt what are you waiting for it knows where you're going so get over it go out and be a game changer today have a great one everyone bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.